So this morning we pick up um, after another crazy week in our world, and we're going to be talking about the series that we're in, This Is That, and um, I just keep you up to date, it comes from Acts chapter 2 verse 16 where the religious people thought, this is weird, and the apostle Peter stood up and said, no, this is that which was prophesied in the Old Testament, and so everybody look here. When you are not aware of what the, prof, what the Bible teaches about what's to come, what God does may look weird or you may miss it. And Peter stood up and said, no, this is that. And he quoted from Joel chapter 2. Hundreds of years earlier it was prophesied. And you remember, as it relates to prophecy, and I know there's false prophets and Jesus said there would be. And there's craziness right now, all kinds of things being prophesied. But be careful don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's four different types of people, the way they view prophecy. One is people are not even aware that things were prophesied. They were foretold with legitimacy. And so when those things happen that were prophesied, they're clueless. And that's a lot of people. Second group of people is people who were aware that things were prophesied, but they never received them. They said, ah, there's no way, that'll never happen. And we're seeing that today. And that's always been the case. There's been a group of people who were familiar with the prophecies but chose to not accept or believe them. Then there's those who know about the, heard, they heard the prophecies, believed them, but they got tired of waiting and they grew weary and they gave up hope and their faith grew weak. And then when the prophecies came to pass, they were not in the game, in the flow of what God was doing. And, and often those people will have a chance to get back in the game. But often they've waxed cold, lukewarm, and they miss out on what God's doing. I'm saying a whole lot of stuff. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. And then there are those that are, I believe it's the majority of our church, if not almost everyone. We know the prophecies. We have accepted that they are true. We have waited, worshiping, and because we've been worshiping, our faith has stayed alive, and we see these things happening, and we are ready to be in the game. And our church is certainly in the game, in the flow of what God's doing. I believe right now, this stuff, I'm just, I'm going to just flow with the Holy Spirit this morning. I've got a lot to say. You know, this stinking series has been marinating since late, uh, mid-October, so if this thing may last till Jesus comes. Um, but seriously, it, when things marinate, oh, you just see what God's doing. That's what his word's supposed to do in us. Um, I think right now what we're seeing, and I'm going to come back to this at the end if the Lord will let me. Pastors right now who are not speaking to what's happening in the culture are tone deaf. It's not wise or safe. It's irresponsible. We should be calling our people to everything you're seeing, the Bible has spoken to it clearly. And we should be on heightened awareness, not fearful. Remember the word the Lord gave us for 2022 is the word urgency. We are to be urgent, not fearful. You know, not clamoring around like we act like we don't know what to do. No, we're just to be urgent. Be very careful, Ephesians 5 says. 
because the days are evil. Be very careful how you live. And pastors that are not speaking to these issues, it's irresponsible. I'll tell you, in, in those churches, we're now far enough into this. We're seeing some trends. People are not into shallow anymore. And there's people even here today, this is your first time. You haven't been in church in a long time. And I'm going deep, but even you are going, something's happening in this room. My heart keeps feeling what's happening. And that's the Lord. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And ever how you got here, he brought you here. And it's because he loves you. And he's intersecting your path with his path. And it's a beautiful thing. But those we're seeing people are, are, people are not going to be easily fooled. People are waking up. Yes, they are. I don't care what's happening on all the major networks. People are waking up. It's a wake-up call. And people are waking up. These truckers, this is not just a bunch of rednecks going, let's rebel against the government. People are waking up. Thank God for them. And, and um, churches, church pastors, spiritual leaders that are playing both sides and riding the fence, their days are numbered. We're seeing, the Bible speaks about it. There'll be a great falling away, and we're seeing it in the nation that we never thought we would see that. We're seeing lawlessness. And in that environment, pastors, spiritual leaders, and churches that are not in the flow and speaking what God's word has spoken and what the Holy Spirit is currently speaking, rhema, playing both sides of the they're going to lose. We're seeing now around the country in every state, there are churches that are leading with courage and boldness, and they're having to add services. And we're not the only one, and it's a beautiful thing what God's doing. And we're not special. We're just faithful to the best we can. Amen? How many of you are glad to be in a church that's saying, this is that? <laughs> Hallelujah. So this morning, I want to talk to you about living in a culture of cancel. In Matthew chapter 24, these are the words of Jesus. And you know chapter 24 is when the disciples said, hey, what's it going to be like in the last days? And Jesus takes really two chapters. The first one, chapter 24, he describes the specifics of what will be happening. And then the next chapter, he illustrates it with those parables. And then at the end of 25, he says, listen, there will be a day where sheep and goats will be separated. And it's, 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 listen, the sheep will enter into eternal life because they've practically followed. They have fed the homeless. They've ministered to those who are in prison. And that's not just, listen, serving time behind bars, imprisoned by fatherlessness, abandonment, trafficking, slavery. And so these words, these two chapters are really to be taken seriously. And, they're to be, and they provide comfort. Amen? So Matthew 24, verse 10 through 12, Jesus says, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. I don't have time to really make sure you get it. Many false prophets. Many will be deceived. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will will grow cold. There's a great um, 
voice, a spirit-filled woman, Jan Markell. If you, if you don't follow her, she's kind of um, obscure, but on 900 radio stations. You can pick her up on Epic TV. And um, she said, and her ministry is oliveministries.org. It's and so a friend of mine that I was watching, listening to, interviewed her. It's really good stuff. And she says this, it's not that everything is falling apart, but that the pieces are coming together. The pieces of what, th- of what Jesus said. And it's beautiful. So cancel culture, this is where we are. And it's one of the great ironies of our age that while we are living during a time when almost any behavior is celebrated, no matter how sinful it is or vile, we are simultaneously living in a time where any small misstep public or private, could be the catalyst of our own social and financial ruin. And this is the danger of smartphones, and we try to tell our children every text, every post, everything you put on your cell phone could be on the 6 o'clock news. It could be on Hannity Live. It could be on CNN. Be careful, because we live in a cancel culture. Chris Hodges, the great pastor, founding pastor of Church of the Highlands over in Birmingham, Second largest church in America, over 40,000 people attend every week on who knows how many campuses. Last summer, you may remember, he simply hit a like from Turning Point USA. He liked a comment from Charlie Kirk. And um, local government shut down the Church of the Highlands. Listen to me. Listen to this. Their free clinic for poor people in the middle of a national health crisis. Why? Because in their words, Pastor Hodges' views do not reflect those of HABD, that is the Housing Authority of Birmingham District and its residents. But that wasn't all. The Birmingham Board of Education also voted to cut ties with Church of the Highlands after the so-called scandal. For several years, the church had rented two high schools for inner city campuses to the tune of over $800,000 for that privilege. They weren't given that space, but no more. The leases were terminated immediately. No more services, not even the next coming Sunday to tell people this is it. That's insanity, people. It's insanity. That's, it's just not smart. Cancel culture punishes in three different stages. Number one, there's public humiliation by flagrantly, yes, flagrantly, intentionally to harm exposing the supposed wrong that was committed. Secondly, once exposed, the violators pushed mercilessly to confess and apologize. Whether they are guilty or not, you must apologize like Drew Brees was forced to do. Often, the canceled isn't even guilty, but their Revelations chapter 12 tend, they're accused. And we live in a culture where conservatives are guilty until proven innocent. And even in being proven innocent, it may not be published. You can be accused of whatever. Number three in a cancel culture, whether there is an apology or not, sincere or not, the person still gets canceled, removed from public life and from all public conversation. People get fired, mocked, threatened, doxxed, deplatformed, and delegitimized. This is unreasonable. It's even unbiblical because this is not the way of Jesus. 
Jesus was asked one time a great question. What's the greatest commandment in all of God's word? He says, without pausing, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Everybody listen. In other words, that one brings on the second. When you do that one for, well, you'll do this one well too. They're inseparably, inseparably linked. You'll love your neighbor like you love yourself. Jesus in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And Jesus spent a lot of time loving on and caring for people who had been canceled. And we are to do the same. He cared for the woman at the well, touched lepers who were untouchable according to the Mosaic law. He welcomed sinners who were despised, blessed children while the religious leaders were trying to shoo them away. He expressed compassion for a woman caught in the act of adultery. He would have expressed compassion for the woman, she was, for the man who was taking advantage of her, but he didn't even identify himself. And he got off because the religious leaders were looking to cancel people. He cast out demons from those who were violent. He expressed compassion, accepted a woman who got carried away in her worship by emptying her perfume on him. He even had the audacity during his final hours he comforted a criminal who was on a cross beside him and even allowed him into paradise. And after the resurrection, Jesus dealt lovingly with a skeptic. Jesus had no place in his heart for cancel culture. What does this mean? What's happening in our world? And in a cancel culture, what does it mean? It'd be nice if this cancel culture was a temporary phase that we're going through. But society is becoming more and more intolerant and polarized by the day. And I think people of prayer who walk in the Spirit know culture cannot go on for much longer in such a divided way like we are. We all know politically there is no solution. A showdown is coming. What we're seeing today, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus was describing in Matthew 24 where he says, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, Jesus says this. I wish I had time to unpack all this, but Holy Spirit, just help us get it. Unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened, hallelujah, for the sake of God's chosen ones. How many of you are glad to be one of the chosen ones? Amen. Come on, you should be. In this chapter, Jesus predicted a series of signs that will foreshadow the end of history. He spoke of there would be wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilences. Then he said, all of these things, these are the beginning of sorrows. And then many will be cupcakes, I mean, will be offended they will betray one another and will hate one another. I mean, many will be offended. Many will betray and hate one another. And this is powerful and profound. Mike uh, Adkins taught about this last spring, about what lawlessness does, even to believers. It causes our love to, we lose the capacity to be loving. There's several terms, if you can leave this up right here, Several terms that speak of cancel culture. Jesus said it would be like this. So this cancel culture is that. 
which Jesus spoke of. What does he say in this passage? First, we see him describe a culture of disdain. Disdain is the feeling that people are unworthy of one's consideration or respect. And we live in a culture of that. Jesus said many will be, listen, easily offended. They'll be, many will betray one another, hate one another. Let me speak about offense just for a second. There, the Bible speaks a lot about this. And, and just because someone's offensive doesn't mean I have to be offended. Can I get a witness? Not long ago, there was a precious brother in our church, a person of color. This is an African-American, a guy from Alabama who had a corporate job, lived in Johns Creek, and we had known them for years. And this is what's going on in our culture. I, I don't think I'm racist, but there's no way I can fully put myself in the shoes of a person of color. I've never been in a minority, and I acknowledge that. I really do. And so I'm not, y'all get what I'm saying. And, and I, while I'm here, I want to say, is America still racist? To a degree it is, but it's a small minority. And they're over and over, most of the white people in my world, if not, I mean, almost all of them, they don't want to be racist. They love Jesus. And we want to see the world work. We see each other created in the image of God. And we should see each other that way and um, I, I could go on and many of you know my story my life and what my family does we care for all people but I'm, I'm not so high minded to think I don't have a racial in my bone if I do I want God to bring it to the surface and I want to get it made right and um, a few years ago oh, that African American man had done something noble in, the, in our church and in a a fairly large email group that was before, te well, texting was, has come along, but long, it, it doesn't even mean anything to the story. It just it, This is why I can't preach short sermons because I get like this. And I said to him, I said, shout out to so-and-so at a boy. And that next Sunday, he asked to meet with me before the service. And he brought him and his wife and his two children. And he asked me what I meant by that. And I'm a, I'm a baseball player. I'd coach baseball. I'm a, a father of seven. And I'd heard that. And listen, I had no idea that that was racially insensitive. God knows my heart. I didn't. And I, I couldn't quickly enough and convincingly enough say I'm sorry. And he accepted my apology. And I think he believed what I was saying was true. It wasn't careless. It certainly wasn't meant in a demeaning way. And we moved on from that. And I love this brother. And we've walked together. And that's an opportunity where he could have carried that or just left the church. But instead, he came to me. And instead of being offended, we did Matthew 18, and we worked through it. And instead of me going, oh, come on, what can we say anymore? Can we not say anything? No, I was able to, through, this is a person I love. And I was able to genuinely say two things. Number one, I had no idea. 
And you may go, shame on, you should be more culturally in tune. Well, some of us are not. And it's not because we don't want to. But I'll tell you this. The second thing was, two things I wanted him to know. I did not even know it was. I promise. And number two, I am sorry. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And you know what? It was a beautiful Matthew 18 moment. And that's, that's what we do. If we're offensive and not even, and we don't know it, and someone's offended, then we apologize and we move on. But we do live in a world of cupcakes. And Christians cannot be offended. You cannot be. Even if people are offensive. This is why the Roman centurion watched Jesus die and say, this thing, I know, that's the son of God right there. No one could do this. And, and we have the same spirit that was in Jesus in us. And we're able to rise up and work through situations. And the Bible says many people will be offended. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 165. If you haven't memorized this, you should. Great peace have they which love thy law. I, I'm reading, I think this is the King James. It just It sounds better. Um, just, just stop right there. Great peace have they who read their Bible. It's one of the byproducts of being a person of the word. You have peace. How many of you are thankful for that? How many could use a little more? Simple. I got your remedy. Get more into the word. Spend more time reading the Bible. Tell the person next to you. He's talking to you right now because I read my Bible last month. And the Bible says, and nothing shall offend them. Now, let's move on. A culture of disdain. Jesus said, many would betray. And the word betrayal here, this is important. The word, there are many words that could have been used for a simple betrayal, but it doesn't mean betrayal in the sense of someone said negative things about a coworker so they could get the promotion instead. It, it, it's not a betrayal of just simple politics. Nor does it mean that that somebody stabbed you in the back. Instead, the text here is talking about betrayal in the sense of intentionally revealing or exposing something that is hidden. And that's a different thing. And that's what we're living in today. It's the same idea of what took place in World War II, in Reichstag, when some of the Germans were reporting their Jewish neighbors to the police and they were getting arrested and taken to the gas chambers. That's the kind of betrayal that we're dealing That's the cancel culture right there. And this is what we're dealing with today around the world. And listen, it is demonic. Don't try and negotiate with it. Don't try and outpost or outwit someone. It's a spirit. And it's a spirit that we see in Revelation chapter 12. Council culture is dependent on this kind of betrayal. Revelation 12, 10 and verse 10 and 12. The Bible says Satan accuses both day and night. It's relentless. Verse 12, it says he has saved his greatest fury 
for these last days because he knows his time is short. But hear me, in this kind of demonic culture, we are not left without weapons. How do we win? We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, which we just celebrated, and by speaking up with the word of our testimony. Y'all are not picking up what I'm putting down. If I had five minutes, I would ring that one out. We are not left without a remedy. I got to move on. Speaking about a culture of disdain, Lizzie Troughton, a legal advocate in London who specializes in family life and religious freedom. In her article, Canceling Christians, it's a fascinating look at our present culture. And she wrote about Billy Graham. And it's a great long article about cancel culture. And she says, basically, if Billy was alive today, it seems unlikely that he would have the same opportunities. We're not just facing a free speech crisis. We're canceling Christians. It's a culture of disdain. Secondly, it's a culture of deception. In the text that we're reading, this is why in verse 4, Jesus told them, don't, the first thing he said was, don't let anyone mislead you. i got to pause right here, I'm, and I'm going to probably say this every week. We're in a Romans 12. You better offer your life as a living sacrifice so that you can be made holy and acceptable. That's your reasonable thing that you can do. That you can have your mind renewed and that you won't just fit into the culture without thinking about it. You will be transformed by your mind being renewed. But you don't get verse 2 without verse 1. Everybody, anybody picking up what I'm putting down? And so in this kind of culture, it's, it's going to be really easy to be deceived. And this is why Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you. For many, again, many, 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 will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many, 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 many. Later, he says, many false prophets will appear. Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, he says that. Right now, we're in a culture where if you can take advantage of senior citizens and rip them off with technology, it's their fault. Someone should have protected them. There's whole industries built around this, and it's sad. Seniors in 2020 lost over a billion dollars, and more than once, I had to help my mother unwind a, a kind-hearted response to someone who wanted to help her. And a total of over 105,301 seniors over the age of 65 were taken advantage of. Average person lost more than $9,000, and almost 2,000 senior citizens lost more than $100,000. It's a culture of deceit. Fake people, fake reviews, fake products, fake news, fake friends, a church with a form of godliness but denying its power, all contributing to a culture of deception. Now, thirdly, cancel culture is a culture of disconnection. It's a culture of disdain, of deception, and disconnection. And think, that's logical. If it's a culture of hate, and people are going to lie to me. Why do I want to be connected with people? I don't. I want to be disconnected. Matthew 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. People, I'd rather be isolated. I'd rather watch from a distance. The culture of the last days will be characterized 
by coldness in our feelings for one another and in our dealings with one another. It will be marked by isolation and disconnection. And those are two things that cannot describe a Christian or a New Testament church. And COVID-19 pandemic has not helped. You know, it's exacerbated this problem. Schools, companies, and churches now live in a new era where isolation is a welcome convenience. And virtual living sustains this isolation. Relationships are risky. Why do I want to be vulnerable? When somebody might find out something I did or one of my family members did or one of my ancestors did and they'll use it against me and cancel me. In Great Britain and in Japan, both, Great Britain first, Japan second, they now have a government office and it's called the Minister for Loneliness. These, these are crippling times. So Pastor Chuck, question is, where do we go from here? I'm glad you asked that question. Now that we understand cancel culture, Francis Schaeffer, how then shall we live? What does it take to live for Christ? How can I be an effective Christian in cancel culture? How can we have a church in this kind of culture? Great questions. It's not easy. The world is hostile to our Christian beliefs. And this is nothing new to Christianity. Real, biblical Christianity has always been hostile to the world, and the world has always been hostile to biblical Christianity. This is nothing new, and the Bible speaks clearly. So tell me the secret, Pastor Chuck. There's four things that we need, and the first is we need wisdom. Can somebody say wisdom? Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's break that down a second. Some people think that Christians should just be docile, um, harmless as a dove. And we should, and the fruits of the Spirit indicate that. But Jesus said, listen, you're going to be sent out as sheep among wolves. And you're going to have to learn to do both. Be as wise as a serpent. Some translations say shrewd, firm, deal with boundaries and some convictions. And we need the wisdom to do that. We've had a cushy Christian culture for 200 years, give or take. And I know that epic different seasons of history in our own nation, it was easier than others but we, we are not just called to be docile, but nor are we called to be jerks in the name of Jesus. We shouldn't be looking to pick fights, but nor should we cower down when there is something that we should stand up for and we need to know the difference. True wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, good, just, and proper. Wisdom also conveys that discernment to others as temperately as possible. How many of you enjoy being as wise as a serpent sometimes? Shrewd as a snake. How many of you know, in love, led by the Spirit, sometimes you have to strike back? Oh, y'all got all politically correct on me. It's all right. That's why I'm preaching this sermon. Y'all need to hear it. We don't need to pick fights with people we disagree with, nor do we need to stay silent when our faith is being challenged. 
Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 says, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive, knowing what to say, how to say it, when to say it. That is wisdom, and that's what we need. James chapter 3, it contrasts worldly wisdom and biblical or godly wisdom. It says, verse 15, the wisdom does not, this wisdom from the world does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without, say it with me. How many of you could stand a little less hypocrisy in our culture? Come on, somebody. Hypocrites. And in the church, may we be delivered from that kind of foolish wisdom. Our, our, the next generation, if, if they could just see some real Christians, God will do something remarkable. If God could just see some, and I believe he's raising some up with that kind of wisdom. And you go, Pastor Chuck, where do you get that wisdom? From God, who gives it liberally and generously. He's waiting on you to be quiet so he can give you some wisdom. And there are a lot of dumb Christians in the world. A lot of dumb ones. Can I get a witness? I'm going to just tell it like it is. I'm tired of it. James 1 verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Some of us need pop quiz wisdom, you know. Pop quiz. Ah, I didn't see that coming. And instead of cussing out and shooting the one digit, God bless you sign to the person on Georgia 400. Holy Spirit, there's pop quiz wisdom. I got to move quickly, but I want to pray. How many of you say, Lord, give me more wisdom? If your hand is not up right now, you're part of the problem. We all need more wisdom. Come on, hold your hand up. Father, we are hungry for you. How do we live in this crazy cancel culture? We're not going to shrink back. We don't know what to do, and sometimes we don't know what to say. Give us what you gave the disciples. You said, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. Don't even worry about what to say. You just go faithfully and open your mouth and the Holy Spirit will come out. Come on, hold your hands up. Everybody just say with it, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom, biblical wisdom, your wisdom. I need more of it, I want more of it. In Jesus' name, deliver me from not being wise, from not knowing how to say what I need to say, when I need to say it. Deliver us, Lord. Set your guard, your Holy Spirit. Convict us on the, on the spot. Say, nope, block us. And when we do, something, does, something dumb does slip out, Lord. By your loving, merciful spirit, convict us. And may we repent and move on and get smarter and wiser and be more fruitful in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say, you. I feel smarter already. Come on, we praise you, Lord. It's available. We need it. Secondly, it takes courage. I'm moving quickly. Deuteronomy 31, it's going to take courage. Somebody say, duh. To live in a cancel culture as a biblical, spirit-filled Christian who's not ashamed of their faith is not going to stand up at the day of judgment and Jesus is going to go, I don't know him. No, we are not ashamed. We're going to need courage. Deuteronomy says, be strong and of good courage. And I tell you, be strong in this day and be of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Christian courage, listen, is the willingness to do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost. 
because God's promise, God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. An act takes courage if it will likely be painful. The pain may be physical as in war and rescue operations, or the pain may be mental as in confrontation and controversy. Courage is indispensable for both. John Piper says, courage is both indispensable for spreading and preserving the truth of Christ. And we need some New Testament book of Acts courage. And I'm not talking about unwise, unwise, unruly zeal. There's a big difference. Acts 4 says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. I like that part. How many of you like to see every Tuesday night when we gather and see this place shaken? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Shaken in the realm of the spirit. Supernatural rumblings. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. And in this hour, brothers and sisters, we need courage. Courage is contagious. That's what these truckers are doing. I learned in 10th grade, half of my class was waiting for somebody to stand up and live for Jesus. They didn't even know it until I stood up and lived for Jesus. I tell these kids in the youth group, your friends are just waiting for a good example of how to live life. And here we are. I think pastors, there's a shifting, there's a turning of the tide. You can feel it in the last two or three weeks. People have said enough. And I don't care what happens. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but enough is enough. And I'm not going to sit back as a harmless little sheepish wolf not knowing who I am. No, the Holy Spirit is in us when we pray, when we stand on his word. Do you feel what I'm feeling? It's not from me. Listen, it's not my personality. It's not the way I like to do things. It's God saying this is light and darkness. This is good and this is evil. This is heaven. This is hell. This is Satan. And this is my kingdom. Will you stand with courage in this hour? Listen, I got to preach quick. I, many of we, Candace and I hear it several times a week. Not a week goes by when one of you at least one of you doesn't reach out and you, or catch me at prayer or on Wednesday nights or even today and you'll say, We're pray I'm praying for you and your family. And I know what you mean. And you, you may think, Pastor Chuck, he's just rambunctious. I've not always been this way. I mean, I've been 100% sold out since I was a kid. I believe the Bible. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I believe when I pray, he hears my prayers. I believe I have a responsibility. I believe I'm going to stand before him for the sermons I'm preaching in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And they count more than the other years. And I appreciate your prayers. Candace and I feel them. And it's a miracle we've gone this far under the radar. But praise God for it. And thank God for it. And we're not looking to get above the radar. But we are not going to walk in fear. We're not going to ride the fence. I believe that there's an army of believers that are looking across our nation for churches and spiritual leaders who will just stand up. Courage is contagious. Come on, somebody. We praise you, Lord. 
Glory to your name, Jesus. Come on, if you're going to stand, let's stand and praise him. We praise you, Lord. We bless your name, Jesus. Just remain standing. Hallelujah. I'm going to just tell you, number three is it takes forgiveness. It takes, we've got to be able to forgive others like Jesus did on the cross, even before they ask for forgiveness. That's the hallmark of Christianity, love and forgiveness. That's what will cause us to be stand out salt and light in the darkness. And then fourthly, it takes love. We have to be loving. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8 says, The end of the world is coming soon. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, everybody look here. I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. The church, if I understand the Bible, and there's many scriptures, the church is not going to be weak when Jesus returns. The church might have endured persecution, but that's only going to serve to make her stronger, purer, Every, you study history of Christianity from the New Testament till now. Every planet, every, na every planet, every continent, every, every nation where persecution breaks. Everybody listen. We're called to stand up for truth. Truth has a name. Truth is what sets people free. We're called to, we're going to be persecuted because this planet likes to enslave people. And there are politicians around the world right now. They don't even know what they're doing. They're caught up in greed. We'll talk about that next week. Power hungry. And so any Christian that thought we can stand up for truth and not be persecuted, you, you, you got to get over that. Now, we don't run looking for it. Hey, you know, picking fights. We're not bullies. We're sons and daughters of God, and we're going to stand up for truth. And in this, in, in this environment, we've got to understand it's part of it. But listen, the, that we're in a Gideon revival right now. Gideon, 120,000, too many people. We've got 32,000, not too many people. 10,000, What? Get it down to 300. There is a Gideon revival happening in our nation and around the world right now. Lukewarm people, it's good that they're awakening and either choosing to be hot or cold. Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. He wants us hot, but he doesn't want anybody lukewarm. Y'all out there? I, we are, I got, I got to bring this to a close. You know, we're in the fourth quarter. I coached football. Years ago, I took a little seventh grade team. I got them in eighth grade. They had won two Northview High School, their feeder program. Bunch of uh, engineers to be over there. Not many football players in Northview. If you're from Northview, you know it's true, so get over it. Um, and a uh, lot of debate, state championships, and chess, and robotics. They've won it all, but football... And they had won two games, sixth and seventh grade. And we, 
they asked Banks to play and said, would you coach? And they really wanted me to coach so they could get Banks to play. And so, and, and they, their football IQ was terrible. And, but there were, we had four and a half players. And the rest of them were just empty helmets, you know, just, just don't jump off sides. And teach them all we could. And they gave us all they had. Three of those kids went on to sign D1 scholarships. And I thought, I'm smart enough. I'm an offensive guy. I'm going to build an offense around these four and a defense around these four. And we're going to be smoking mirrors with the rest of them. If those of you football guys know what I'm talking about. We, we made it to the playoffs. They had never gone to the playoffs. And in our first game, we had to go to Rome. And there's kids now in the NFL that were on that eighth grade team. And they, there were kids in eighth grade who had like uh, Louis, Louisiana beards. And uh, it, Rome, Rome, Georgia is like, that's a football factory over there. And they were ranked number one. Brent, I see you smiling. You know what I'm talking about. And we, we went over there. And I told our kids, we have a play we've saved all year. If you can keep it close, we're going to win this game. We scored first. Talk about smoke and mirrors. I had one of our receivers go off the line and act like you tripped. Fall down. (laughs) Get back up and then run. But don't run fast. Banks rolls out, falls down the linebacker's corner. He draws them all in. Bloop. Our parents, everybody went crazy. We missed our extra point, which is two points. Then they scored. We're in the fourth quarter. We're down eight to six most of the game. We get the ball with about three minutes to go. It's third and 25 on our own 10. It did not look good. The play was we have our fastest kid who went on to play at Boston College. He's the flank receiver. We're strong. We got all our players over here except for him. You down, set, on set. Just sprint to the sideline, and they're not going to know what to do. And then on hike, turn and go. And I said, Banks, early in the game, I don't, we're not even trying to complete it. Throw the ball as far as you can. We want them to register. Oh, my gosh. They almost. Because at the end, and we did it, and Banks rear back, and he threw it like in the third row. And it was, but the cornerbacks and safeties were going, what are we, he's going in motion. We, we didn't see this on film. Third and 25. Oh, Lord, I feel revival. <laughs> it was the, per, it, it's better than third and three. Third and 25 on our own 12-yard line. Here goes this kid again. Every defensive back in Rome, Georgia is like, get over there. That kid can fly. And Banks does this. And we got a kid that played at Clemson who is still there. Fast as grease lightning. He does the same thing incognito. And Banks goes. 88 yards later, Northview Junior Titans, 12, Rome Wolves, 8. And we won that game and shocked all of Georgia Middle School Athletic Association. Listen, we're in the fourth quarter. He kept it close. There are plays the enemy hasn't seen yet. And he has saved them. Oh, come on, somebody. 
we praise you. You're part of that. Now we just have to execute. Come on, lift your hands right now. Father, fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. If you fill us with your spirit, we will have wisdom. We'll be able to discern. We'll have boldness. We'll have courage. We'll be able to forgive. We'll be able to love. I speak life and blessings and joy, sincere, hundred-proof faith in this place, Lord. A New Testament church right here at 410 Rucker Road. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, say, I receive it. Now get out of here. Go get your kids and get out of here. We need your parking space. We love you.